she usually makes fun of me for not. Uh, I don't. I don't typically preach sermons for special occasions because I usually just plow right on through. We just kind of keep going along in the book. But today, because it's Mother's Day and Graduation Sunday, and those two events are coming together, I decided to preach a sermon for a special occasion. So, your loss, Amber. Now we're still going to be in the book of Matthew. Just a few chapters ahead, so if you want to turn to Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. This passage came to mind a few weeks ago, uh, and I thought that it would fit today's occasion pretty well. Uh, you'll notice, uh, if you look at the passage when we read through it, through it that um, there is no verse 47. Don't panic. Um, you probably have, your Bible probably has a footnote in there uh, that tells you that, that that verse was not in all of the, uh, or the most reliable manuscripts. So we talk about this at length in our uh, Biblical Foundations class that we, we offer during the fall, but I'll just kind of give you a quick, try to give you a quick summary as I can. The English Bible that you have in your hand is a translation of manuscripts. Thousands of manuscripts, uh, copies that were made of the originals. Now you may say, copies? We got a translation of a copy? That doesn't sound like it's very reliable. But here's the thing. We have more manuscript evidence for the Greek New Testament than any other ancient work of literature. Aristotle, Plato, Homer, we have more copies of the Greek New Testament on which we base our translation than any other ancient work available. All right, and those copies come uh, closer in time to the writing of the original, again, than any other ancient work. So uh, what, here's what that means. All right, here's just to get really practical. When it comes to Matthew 12, uh, I'm just going to make up some numbers, but let's say that we have 12 copies of Matthew 12. And 10 of them don't include verse 47. And two of them do. Then what scholars do, they make an educated guess and they say, oh, well, what happened there with verse 47 is a scribe basically copied the same thing twice or he included something extra. And so they make an educated guess and they say, we don't think the original included verse 47. Uh, rather, we just think it was 46, 48, 49 and 50. All right. So they go with the majority evidence that they have and say, we don't think that was probably original to the actual text of Matthew 12. So there's your, uh, there's your quick version of that. If you want to talk more about it, take the class later on when we offer it, or I'll try to explain more after worship today. But just wanted you to not panic and think that there was something wrong with your Bible because it was missing something. It's not. Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his Mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade... The word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, would you take your word and would you apply it to our hearts? 
so that the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Transform us, renew us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember my first night living away from home. Uh, I had we we had traveled and we had done campouts and vacations. So I, I had been away from home before, but I still remember the the first night living away from home. Uh, two friends and I we'd gotten an apartment in Tuscaloosa uh, so that we could begin uh, our college education at the University of Alabama. Road Tide. Um, and it had been a big fanfare. Uh, you know, my, all of our parents had helped. We'd loaded up the truck. They'd helped us move down. We, we got all the hand-me-down furniture in place and the dishes in the cabinets and the towels in the bathroom and the beds made and the pictures hung. And then everybody left. And it felt very quiet all of a sudden. And I remember my friends and I kind of looking at each other and being like, okay, what do we do now? It was a, it was a pretty surreal experience. Um, we had entered this era of, of what I call uh, pseudo-independence. We were still supported by our parents, but we were living on our own. No one was there uh, to tell us to get up or clean or go buy groceries, right? The, the will of my parents had moved far away, and now I was governed by my own. And it's very surreal when it happens, but it must happen. Now, Christians are very pro-family. We believe that the Bible teaches that God has designed the family to raise children and build a good society. We think the family is crucial to that. But the key word in that sentence is raise. Children do not remain children. They must be formed and taught and equipped, and then they must be released. Listen to Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I bet they felt like a reward this morning while you were getting ready for church, didn't they? So that was your thought, like, man, look at all these little rewards. Load them up in the car. He goes on, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. As many of you know, my sister-in-law and her family uh, were serving as missionaries in Ukraine when Russia invaded. And so you can imagine how my wife's parents felt uh, when the news broke and the invasion began. Those were scary and uncertain days. We didn't really know what was going to happen, where they were going to end up. Uh, but somewhere in there, I don't know if he said this in direct relation to the uh, Russian invasion, but uh, my father-in-law was talking with a man in his church who was a retired Green Beret uh, who was actually training to go back into the army as a chaplain. And here's what he told my father-in-law. Mark, arrows are meant to be shot. Arrows are meant to be shot. Children must be released. 
Family is good, but it is not ultimate. And this short glimpse into Jesus' life gives us a good reminder. And here it is. Your relationship to God is more important than any other relationship. It is the relationship. Your relationship to God is what governs every other relationship. That takes precedence, uh, the spiritual takes precedence over the physical, right? And that's true for every person in the room, whether you're single, whether you're married, if you're a parent, if you're a child, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, whatever your role is, your relationship to God is the key relationship that takes precedence over all of the others. And we see that happening here in the life of Jesus. So I want to Look at the principle, that first principle, that family is important, family is good, but it's not ultimate. I want to unpack that. And then I want to give a word to moms and dads and grandparents and families. And then I want to give a word to our graduates, but to all the other children as well, young and old. And so let's talk about this. Family is important, but it's not ultimate. What do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's look at the story. Uh, Jesus is teaching, uh, particularly in this section of the gospel, Matthew 11 and 12. He is dealing with opposition. The Pharisees, the religious leaders are challenging him. And so he's talking a lot about uh, unbelief and about empty religion. He's saying some challenging things as he deals with his opponents. And it's toward the end of this that his family shows up. Uh, now, Joseph isn't mentioned, so we think he's probably deceased at this point. Uh, so this would be Jesus' mother and his half-brothers. Jesus is teaching in a home, and so they stand outside and they send word into him, we want to speak with you. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us why they want to speak to him, but Mark gives us some indication in his parallel account. If you were to look at Mark three twenty-one. Mark tells us that they were worried about him, that his family wanted to go and seize him, take hold of him. It's a strong word, because they think he's out of his mind. Right? They, they hear what's going on with Jesus. They see what he's doing, and they are scared. They're worried, and so they're going to go get him. Now, in a first century Jewish culture... Uh, family is the center, right? Culture, the Jewish culture centered around family and tribe. And so a firstborn son would have certain responsibilities, particularly to his mom if she's a widow, and to the family. And so those are the different dynamics that are at play here when Jesus' mom and brothers, right? They're not, they're not there for a casual chat. There's, there's some background to that. Now, Jesus is close to 30 years old. So, in Jewish terms, he's, he's really a grown man, right? I realize, I realize we've kind of pushed, you know, the, the age of manhood way, way on out. But in Jewish culture, that really began to happen uh, when you were a teenager. And so, Jew, uh, Jesus is 30. I mean, he's well into adulthood in Jewish terms. But Mary is still worried about her boy, 
And so she does what maybe any mother in the room would do. She goes to speak some sense into him. Now, I want you to listen to Jesus' response. Look at verse 48. The message comes in to him, and so he replies to the messenger, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Man, Jesus, that's a little harsh, isn't it? I mean, is Jesus disowning his family right here? Is he just, is he just cutting ties with them altogether? No, Verse 49, stretching out his hand toward his disciples. And remember that word disciple, it's like a mix of the word, uh, our words for learner and follower. A disciple was a student who patterned his life after his teacher or master. And so Jesus looks at this group of students, this group of followers around him. He gestures to them and says, here is my family. Here are my mother's Here is my mother and my brothers. Here's my family. Is Jesus disowning his family? Is he rejecting his responsibility as a son? Is he breaking God's commandment to honor his father, honor his mother? No. And we know that because he continues to have a relationship with his family after this. In fact, when he's on the cross suffocating and bleeding... He actually takes a moment to provide for his mother, to make sure that she's cared for by his disciple John. And we see later on in the book of Acts that Jesus' mom and his half-brothers would become a part of the early church. They, too, would come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, his uh, half-brother James would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So, So Jesus isn't cutting ties with his family. He's not giving them the cold shoulder. They're still very much an important part of his life. So what is it that he's saying? He's saying that as close as blood family is, there's something greater. As important as his mother is in his life, someone else must be more important. Listen to verse 50. Because whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Family is good, but family is not ultimate. There is someone who takes an even higher priority than your family. And that is the Lord himself. It's God himself. Now, let's apply that. First, a word to moms. And dads. God has put you in your child's life for his or her good. And he gives lots of direction and wisdom on the best way to raise your children. How to mold and shape that arrow as you put it in the quiver and prepare it for battle. So I want you to hear me. You are vital to the success and development of your child. But your voice must give way to another. Every parent is designed not to be a stopping place, but a signpost. Our children are not made for us. 
They are not made for our happiness. They are not made for our satisfaction. They are not made for our joy. We are not the stopping place for our children. We are just a signpost. We are meant to point them to someone greater, namely the Lord Jesus. Jesus isn't harsh with his mom, but he does give her a gentle rebuke. She doesn't fully grasp who he is yet. She doesn't have the full picture. And so what does she do? She reacts. She moves to protect. She tries to take control. But her priorities for him, his safety, his responsibility, her priorities for him, her desires for him must take a back seat to God's priorities. She will have to let him go. And if you go back to when Jesus was just eight days old, in Luke chapter 2, his parents take him to the temple uh, to present him to the Lord, to consecrate him. And an old man named Simeon, who'd been waiting to see the Messiah, he takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he blesses the boy and then he looks at the parents and blesses them. And here's what he says in Luke 2.34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. So he's going to do great things and he's a, a sign from God that will be opposed by many. And then he says this, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary will have to lose her boy. But it's in the process of losing her boy that the world will gain. And so Mary has to release the arrow, which understandably she is struggling to do, as any parent would. And so mom and dads, we need to hear that. Now, none of our children are the Messiah, so there's that. It's good. Uh, but there is an important principle here, and it's our, that our children don't exist for us. They don't exist to make us happy. They don't exist to fulfill our wildest dreams. They don't exist to succeed where we failed. You cannot live your life over through your children. No, our priorities and expectations and deep desires, our wills, must give way to his. He's the only one who can help them anyway. He's the only one who can satisfy them. He's the only one who can bring them joy. And he's the only one that can bring us joy and satisfaction as well. You see, if, if we idolize or live vicariously through our children, then it will crush both them and us. It will crush them because they cannot bear the weight. They were not designed to bear the weight of worship. They, are, they were not designed to bear the weight of your desires and expectations. And it will crush us because we will be using them, we will be trying to use them to get what only God can give us. Deep satisfaction and joy. And so we have to Trust the Father's will uh, and release 
our children. How do we avoid how do we avoid that? How do we avoid idolizing our children? We pursue our father's will instead of our own. We make our relationship with God the central relationship in our lives. Uh, Randy Pope, who's a pastor retired now in Atlanta, he writes our um, uh, the discipleship curriculum we use in our discipleship groups. And he tells the story when he was a, a young man, a young parent, he went to a parenting conference uh, and this you know, well-known speaker gave all of these very helpful principles and tips on parenting and Randy's just taking notes, and the more notes he takes, the more overwhelmed he becomes. Uh, and so he leaves that room just being like, good grief, who can ever succeed as a parent? Probably felt that. And it's uh, while he's standing in line during a break, he's standing in line for the restroom, an uh, uh, older man in his middle-aged, uh, middle ages was standing next to Randy, and he said, young man, I'm glad I didn't hear that talk when I was when I was your age. And Randy was like, huh? That was great. What do you mean you're glad you didn't hear that talk? He's like, I don't think I ever would have made it. He's like, it, it really comes down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love him in front of your children. That's it. Love the Lord your God and love him in front of your children. Focus on your relationship. Now, what if you feel like a total failure? What if you say, especially if you're now older, and you look back and you go, I totally botched it. Or maybe it's about you. Maybe you're about to release some more arrows, and you go, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've ruined my children. It's never too late to repent and believe and fight by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you realize, maybe you were harsh, demanding, critical. Now listen, I'm saying this as a parent whose oldest is only 14. I'm assuming at this point that my uh, lack of integrity in parenting is going to come up in therapy for my children one day. Okay? So like I'm just going ahead and making that assumption. All right? But when you realize you've stumbled, when you realize that you've failed, go to your children and say, I'm sorry. I did not do that the way that I should have done that. I did not do that the way that I should have done that. Will you forgive me? Now listen, that's not automatic. There are things you can't undo. There are words you can't unsay. There are wounds that you may not be able to heal. But the gospel brings transformation and healing and change. And so apply it to the way that you parent your children, even in retrospect. Repent, believe, and fight. Parents, your relationship to God is the most important relationship you can cultivate for the sake of your children. Let God be God. Not you and not your kids. And finally, a word to graduates and to all the other children in the room. Honor your father and your mother. Now, that command needs a sermon all of its own. Uh, because not all of us have very honorable parents. And even the best parents are flawed and sinful. And so that, that command needs its own sermon. But I would say this. Give your parents some grace. Grace. 
and try to honor them the best that you can with the Spirit's help. But the word to you, kids, is the same as the word to your parents. Your relationship to God is the most important relationship in your life. A time will come when the relationship between you and your parents will change. You may move to a faraway place like I did, or you may move next door. But either way, you will have to leave. You will be released like an arrow from a bow. And so the question you'll have to answer then is, whose voice will you listen to? When you're sitting on your couch, in your apartment, and your parents are far away, and you have to decide, what do I do now? Whose voice will you listen to? Whose will will you follow? And when you ask that question, I want you to remember what Jesus says here. In him, you're part of a bigger family. In fact, we see that Jesus' family, that the family we have spiritually, supersedes, in some sense, that of the biological family. That Jesus' mission uh, takes precedence over biological family. You're a part of a family united not by the blood in your veins, but by the blood in his veins. That's what unifies the body of Christ. And so if you've moved away or if you're moving away, find a good gospel preaching church. Find brothers and sisters and mothers in Christ who will point you relentlessly to him. And I want you to remember that if you're in Christ, he is your ultimate identity. Your parents have shaped you and influenced you in good ways and in bad. Because again, parents aren't perfect. And that's part of who we are. But our ultimate identity comes from him. You are a daughter or a son of the Heavenly Father thanks to the work of your older brother, Jesus. That is who you are. And if that's true, then doing his will, yielding to him, trusting and following him, will be the only thing that brings you satisfaction and joy. So it's the same message to parents and to kids. Yield your will to the will of the Father. Lay it down. Submit to him. Trust him. Your relationship with him is the most important relationship. Let me conclude with this. If you don't know, if you're not in Christ, if you've never believed in Jesus, I want to tell you that the reward of following Jesus far outweighs the risk. I want you to listen to Jesus' invitation from Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. And these sound like stark words. And we're going to get to them because we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says this. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross, death, and follow me is not worthy of me. Hear this. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you lost your life for Jesus? Have you given up your will and priorities and expectations and deep desires to him? Have you received and rested upon him alone as he's offered in the gospel? I pray that you do that today. And if you do, you will do the will of your Father in heaven. And you will experience the joy, the reward that Jesus promises. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, even when it offers stark choices. I pray that we would take it to heart. I pray that we would prioritize life with you, that we would prioritize your will for us over every other will, our own and those around us. May you be the most important thing in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond to God's word? Oh